0: One tricky thing about us humans is that we're very adaptable. We get used to our surroundings and our way of life and we come to see this as normal. But if you take a historical look at it, humans presence on this planet is definitely not normal. Today we're going to take a big picture look at how humans for the last couple hundred years have been really busy and really destructive. Humans have done amazing things and really dangerous things. Over the last couple hundred years, we've brought onto the planet several billion people and we didn't have a plan for that. So now we need to come up with a plan for how we can have this many billions of people on the planet and do it safely. Because our current way of life is not safe, for us or for the planet. We'll also look at how humans have done amazingly successful things and tackled very serious global issues, and brought ourselves more peace and prosperity than ever we'll see how we're capable of being awesome. So maybe we'll be awesome enough to handle the current threats to humanity. That's what we're going to look at today. I hope you enjoy it. Let's dig in. This is the joy of saving the human race where we try to get the world to cooperate. It's so the human race can avoid some urgent global problems that could mean the end of civilization and cause lots of suffering around the world. But also, we just want to have a good world that we enjoy and we can feel proud of. We are not just citizens of our own countries. We are citizens of the human race. Let's learn to manage ourselves responsibly. Let's help the human race act like it wants to last for a while. I think humans are awesome, and the human race is worth saving. There is no time to waste, so let's do this. me today i'm your host shelby martis so this is round two of the show and um you know second episode I'm starting this show with um, a series of episodes which outline what the show is going to deal with going forward um, as we have guests and do interviews and such in the future. But right now I'm laying out um, a bunch of ideas and themes and issues that I think are important to deal with that we'll be um, inquiring about going forward. So the theme is basically to foster more international collaboration. Um, so that we can handle some of the really serious issues that the human race is facing right now that are quite threatening and could even threaten us with extinction or civilization collapsing or really bad things like that. Um, But also, we just want to make a cool world that we like, that we can feel proud of. And I think humans are pretty awesome and I think we deserve to live in a world that we feel proud of. So that's also what we're trying to do today. Um, If you have not yet listened to the first episode, I encourage you to do that. That'll give you a a good idea of what I'm trying to accomplish with all this. Um, But for now, let's dive into this. Today, what I want to do here is basically take us on a grand tour of the world and what the human race is up to these days. So this is the big picture view of uh, all these issues. I'm not going to go really deep into each of these issues because in the other episodes of this series, I will cover them more deeply. So this is just the grand preview and what we'll notice as we look at this is that we're going to cover a lot of different issues. Each one of these issues is incredibly important and you know, you I'm sure know some of what I'm going to talk about and you've heard some of this. But as we survey them all together and look at them as a whole, as a package, I I think it's pretty impressive to look at. And we'll also see some of the interconnections between these issues as we do that. So this presentation has, I'm going to share a lot of graphs and images and such. Some of you are listening to this on the podcast version of the show um, with just audio. If you are, don't worry about it. Um, I will lead you through and it'll all make sense. If you do want to go over to the YouTube um, version of this, you'll see graphs and images and such that highlight the points, but you'll still understand. If you do want to look at the YouTube, there's a link in the show notes that you can use to find it. So... Also, I'm going to share um, several graphs and data, and numbers and things. If you're not a numbers person and you're not into math and graphs, don't worry about it. There's not going to be a test or a quiz at the end. And um, you don't have to absorb like all the little details. Just look at the pretty pictures. You'll see the trends going up or going down. And you can see, is it going up a lot? Is it going up little you know you'll get a general sense so really don't sweat that also I want to just highlight that all these trends that we're considering today are beyond what any one country can solve on its own and so they're all going to point toward global solutions to these global problems so um, That's why I'm sharing them. Also, there's a lot of interconnections between the different issues involved. So that's why I think it's helpful, um, at least for today, to just look at all these things as a package. Um, In other episodes, we'll have more detail on each of these issues. So I'm going to try to be brief here as I go through all these, even though I'm going to want to dive into big stories and long presentations about all of them. I'm going to try to just move along so you can get the big picture of all this so there's going to be two parts to this one um the first part is pretty heavy to be honest with you um it's there is some pretty serious dangerous things that we're up against in the world and it could make you feel scared sad angry you might feel some stuff and if you do it's okay The second part of this is more hopeful, because there is a lot of cause for optimism. There are things going really well in the the world, and some important things are improving, and it's important to look at that, so we will get into that. For the more heavy material that I'm going to cover here, um, I'll be honest, it's it's, um, kind of staggering. And when I compiled this material into this research, it hit me pretty hard. Like, I seriously cried a few times, um, and it was overwhelming. If you have some of those feelings as we go through this, I encourage you to not avoid it. Don't turn this off and go do something else. Um, stick with it. I hope that you will. This is important because there's this dynamic that happens among people where, and I've seen this a bunch of times and even felt this myself, where these big problems in the world can feel overwhelming. We can feel helpless. And so then it can be tempting to just go back into one's own life and try to forget this stuff and be like, well, you know, it's overwhelming, I don't know, and it makes me feel bad, so let me just deal with myself and go about my business and just cross my fingers and hope somebody else deals with this. Um, But unfortunately, when too many people avoid the stuff, then we don't have enough people paying attention and doing things. And that's why we're in the problems that we have. A lot of these problems have gotten worse because people avoid them because they don't feel good. So I think all of us sort of growing our capacity to deal with this stuff and feel it is important, you know? So, um, So anyway, and I'll guide you through. I'll hold your hand. We'll be okay. So let's uh, let's do this. There is, uh, there was a book released recently by a very smart guy named Toby Ord. Um, The book is called The Precipice. Um, I've got a link to it in the show notes. You can check it out. Um, I have not read this book yet, um, but I would like to. I heard an interview with Toby recently on the Sam Harris uh, podcast, which was very good. And and Toby um, really impressed me with his intelligence. And basically in this book, The Precipice, he looked, did this survey of the human race and our future and looked at existential risk. So these are the various things that um, basically where humans could go extinct or humans could have civilization collapse, which would mean like everything falls apart and we go back to a time that's more primitive. And, um, basically there would be a lot of suffering in the world. Um, a lot of people would die and we would go to a situation that I don't think any of us really wants to to see. So, in this analysis, he, he basically saw that in the next hundred years, there's a one in six chance that basically everything could fall apart and humans go extinct or civilization collapses. And these would be due to issues of our own making. So, it's not like, you know, the biggest concern is not a big volcano blowing up, it's not an asteroid hitting the earth, it's, you know, those things could happen, but they're pretty remote and rare. The things that are likely to do us in are our own causing, like nuclear weapons, like climate change, like new technology that is powerful and dangerous. Um... These are the things that we need to watch out for. So it's a one in six chance that this could happen. Um, That's a risk that I don't feel willing to take. Um, And I would ask you, if you were thinking about your own life, how would you feel about a one in six chance that you die? Um, I don't know if anybody would really want that. You know, consider it differently. A, a revolver, um, a typical revolver gun, if you put one bullet in it and it contains says, six chambers and I spin the thing and, you know, would you put that to your head and let it be shot? There's a one in six chance that you could die. There's a five in six chance you'll be okay. But would you want to stand there and take that risk? I wouldn't myself. Um, but yet, as a human race, that's where we're at. We're standing in front of that gun, taking that risk as a collective human race. And that worries me, you know This time of existential uh, risk pretty much started in 1945 with the creation and use of the first nuclear weapons. And that was a time at which everybody understood that humans have made something incredibly powerful that could end us. And um, a lot of people have done some thinking and talking and feeling about that and i think it was this aha moment where people realized um, the extent of our own power as humans unfortunately we didn't seem to learn the lesson Um, you know i'm not blaming the people who lived through that it's just that for whatever reason people didn't learn and that could have been a moment at which we say, Oh my goodness, maybe we need to approach our life in the world differently. Um, And we have the ability to make ourselves extinct, but we didn't quite learn the lesson um, on nuclear weapons or a bunch of other issues that we um, caused. So, To to get an idea of what's happening, we have to really step back and look at things historically in order to understand how our time on the planet right now is very different from the past and very different from, uh, I don't know, what's happened in nature so far. So population, human population has exploded. Um, So humans basically started to thrive after the last ice age, which ended about 12,000 years ago. And that's when humans um, started to settle in villages and towns, invented some tools, invented agriculture, and then manufacturing, and started to be um, the thriving, successful race that we are. So, you know, looking at this graph of since the last ice age, Human population, you can barely see it on the bottom of the graph. It's like, you know, it's just barely anything. But there were people around, and they were living and doing things. But then starting um, in the 1700s, and then even more in the 1800s, and then since then, it's just the graph goes vertical it's um, this population explosion, which corresponds to um, around the year 1850 when humans um, invented fossil fuels and started using them. So that fueled a big boom in activity. Um, Looking at this other graph of the size of the world economy, and this is just since the year zero, which is basically the last 2,000 years adjusted for inflation, um, and so this, this basically um, quantifies the total goods and services created, um, you know, annually by the whole human race um, on the world and, and puts a dollar figure on that. So, it, you know, again, it's like the graph just hugs the bottom of the graph and you barely see it. And then in the 1800s, it just explodes and goes toward the sky. And basically, some of this is services, like people just doing things. But most of this economic activity that we see here has an impact on the physical world. So it's using land. It's using natural resources. It's making stuff. It's throwing stuff away. It's... um, it's intertwined with the physical world and it's just exploded since the 1800s and again the graph goes toward the sky it's nearly vertical so um, you know in 1850 as fossil fuels came along people were able to farm which um, created more food you know, so people could have tractors and fuel the tractors, and there was, you know, fertilizer and pesticide and all that industrial farming that has come along since then, that has allowed uh, a population explosion, you know, that we saw. And so these two go very hand-in-hand, population growth and growth of the economy. So along the same time we started to have a profound impact on nature um, as humans started to radically populate and have all this economic uh, activity it's basically led us to the start of what scientists call the sixth great extinction so looking at prehistory um, the history of the earth There have been six times at which uh, extinctions happened rapidly. Um, And this is one of them right now. The last one was the end of the dinosaurs, 65 million years ago. So basically right now we're losing species on the earth um, at a rate similar to the end of the dinosaurs. That was a cataclysmic event that was likely caused by an asteroid hitting the earth which changed our atmosphere and made not as many plants grow and then all the animals that eat those plants die and there's this big die off that happened from that um, asteroid explosion. But this extinction event is happening from our own doing, from the explosion of like our economy and our activities and our population and what we're doing to the planet. So at this point, It's, you know, scientists believe that one in four species remaining are at risk of extinction. So that's, you know, one quarter, that's 25% of all the species on Earth um, could go extinct soon if we continue our behavior, um, which alarms me. Even aside from extinctions, the population of wildlife is greatly reduced. So, even the species that remain, there are far fewer of them um, living. So, there's a study that started in 1970, it's been running for about 20 years now. Where I'm sorry, 50 years, I should do my math better. Um, that study has looked at 4,000 vertebrate species around the world and basically added up and quantified the population, how many animals of each species are alive, and has found that those populations have declined about 60% from the years 1970 to 2014. So that alarms me. I mean, that's like nature in general reducing by 60%. So I really don't know what the impact of this is going to be, but I know that it's pretty radical and, um, it's big and it's happening. So there's a lot of people who I think go through life, not thinking about their relationship with nature. And especially people who live in cities where there's not a lot of trees and animals around, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Um, We don't really think about ourselves as natural creatures, as animals, but we are animals. We have bodies. We, um, we need food. We need water. We need shelter. Um, And even if we are living in a city, we're surrounded by nature. We're surrounded by air and you know, weather, Um, and we are affected by these things. So I don't think anybody can accurately tell us what's going to happen if this trend continues, but we do know that ecosystems are starting to collapse and unravel, this very interconnected um, nature where, you know, plants and animals are all, it's all a system, it's all interconnected. So you might say, oh, well, so what if one species goes extinct? But that causes something else to go extinct, and that causes something else to go extinct. And it can be this sort of domino effect where one thing um, causes something else, causes something else. And we've got this unraveling of our ecosystems. And we don't really know how this is going to shake out because humans have not, experienced this before while we've been on earth because the last time was 65 million years ago with the dinosaurs we just don't know how this is going to play out and um it, it seems risky so all of this loss of nature that i've described so far has happened before climate change has kicked in Um, And it's happened for a lot of different reasons. This is farming, this is development, this is pollution, this is uh, hunting and fishing, this is a lot of different activities that have led to the decline of nature. All that happened prior to now, and right now is where the climate is starting to intensify and we're starting to have problems and we're gonna have many more which is going to put much more pressure on nature and um, amplify all these trends that I've talked about so far. So, you know, starting in about 1850, the world got good at using fossil fuels. And so since then, emissions, CO2 emissions, carbon dioxide, has uh, greatly increased since then. And so what that has done is increased the amount of those gases in our atmosphere. And once we put it up there in the air, it lingers for a long time. So that's a cumulative effect. It's not only about um, what we emit and put in the air right now, it's about every, the years past, since this whole problem, it's been accumulating. In, each year we put more and more in there and the concentration of CO2 in our atmosphere is great. So if we look back at, uh, scientists have figured out like the last 800,000 years, a very long time, well before humans were around and thriving, they've been able to note the concentration of CO2 in our atmosphere. And where it's at right now is far beyond anything it's been in the last 800,000 years. So humans have never faced this much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Since 1850, the world average temperature has increased by about one degree Celsius. That's just under two degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, That sounds small. Um, because you might be like, oh, well, it's just one degree who, you know, who cares, but because nature, um, has, nature does not change quickly on its own. And so the whole natural systems are calibrated for the types of temperatures that it has seen for several years, but we've made it increase dramatically and quickly. So it's changing quicker than nature can adjust to it. And it also creates a lot more turbulence in terms of weather that's gonna um, cause problems for us. So if you look back farther at temperature, average temperature on the earth, since the end of the last ice age, when humans came around and started to thrive, Um, You know, looking at 10,000 years ago, the temperature was gradually increasing and it peaked around 7,000 years ago and then it was gradually decreasing. And some believe we might have been um, on our way to another ice age because it was gradually decreasing. But then fossil fuels hit and our modern economy hit. And so you see this graph, it was gradually decreasing, but now it just spikes up, it goes vertical. And basically at this point now, the average temperature is higher than at any point since the last uh, ice age when humans have thrived. So basically the human race has never lived on the planet with an average temperature this high. So we're in completely new territory Um, And so basically, you know, for most of my lifetime, people have understood that climate change is a threat. This has been talked about for decades. And it's often been talked about, hey, we need to solve this um, so that we can have a better future for our kids and our grandkids. But it's basically starting now. Like this is no longer just a thing for our future. This is like you and me, right now, what we're gonna face in our lifetimes, because the effects are already being seen. It's already happening. Like this is game time now. It's it's happening. So already the glaciers are melting um, on the North and South Poles. There's permafrost melting. Uh, permafrost is basically. You know vegetation from years past and dead animals and whatever you know wildlife that has died and, and gotten packed down into the ground um, over like thousands of years and it's been frozen for thousands of years it contains a lot of methane and a lot of carbon dioxide um, because it's basically decomposed um, wildlife from the past and it acts almost like fossil fuel being burned when this permafrost melts it releases tons of methane and carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, which then intensifies this whole dynamic that we're talking about, um, on top of all the um, emissions that we're putting up there from our fuels. With more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, a lot more of that is absorbed by the oceans, so CO2 levels in the oceans has increased. That makes oceans more acidic, and so it's starting to kill a lot of sea creatures that are not able to live in that acidic environment, Uh, especially coral reefs, which are just dying left and right, and some predict that soon we might lose all of them, which is tragic for the ocean environment because they are sources of um, or, or spots of very high diversity. There's just tons of creatures, tons of plants. It's almost like the rainforests of the ocean. And the whole system will be less resilient if we lose that diversity. Uh, We have wildfires happening. So in Australia, California have had big wildfires, uh, Siberia even. Siberia is not known as a warm place. Uh, But just recently, in June of 2020, they had a temperature of 38 degrees Celsius, which is 100 degrees Fahrenheit. And that in that day, that was warmer than the record temperature for Miami, Florida on that day. So that's just pretty alarming that that far north, it's getting that hot. And it sparked wildfires there which then burns even more of that permafrost. And it's just, it's it's really bad. Like this is already happening. And then also scientists are noticing that uh, plant and animal species are moving to new territory as the climate changes. They're trying to find the temperature zone that they've evolved to live in. And as the temperature changes and the weather changes, they move to try to um, get a better climate for themselves some are able to do that but some are not like not all species are equally resilient and so the ones that are not able to pick up and move um like especially trees i mean they're long like they're rooted to the ground so um yeah all those issues we just talked about with extinction of wildlife loss may be much greater as the climate gets worse. And then with the climate, there's all the impacts on human life that we could imagine that we know are possible. So things like droughts, food shortages, um, more wildfires that could burn cities and homes and such. Um, It could be difficult for farmers to grow enough food because the weather is changing dramatically Um, There will be more refugees because people need to move from their current place because it's become too hot. So uh, scientists are predicting that even in the next 50 years, uh, well over a billion people on our planet will be unable to live where they are because it'll be too hot. So they're going to have to die or pick up and move. And this will cause tremendous refugee issues. There may be wars, there may be governments collapsing and conflict due to food shortages and riots and whatever else. Um, you know, it's it's just an astounding mess. Um, I could probably go on and on imagining difficult things in our future because of climate, but I think you get the picture. Um, It's bad. So, stepping back a minute, noticing all the things that we've done to nature over the last couple hundred years before climate hit that has made it less resilient and so we've been punishing nature for a couple centuries but now we're adding climate to it and um it's already degraded so it'll have a harder time adjusting to the climate so looking at other things that we've been doing um, over this time Looking at um, basically the amount of land on the planet that humans use, starting from about the year 100 um, through today, uh, it has increased dramatically starting about 1850 when we started consuming the world. Since that point, we're using five times the amount of land that we used to um, for a bunch of different purposes. That includes farming that includes places where we live that's developed spaces Um, but the bigger bulk of it is farming taking a look at the land and how we use it across the world it's pretty interesting the percentages of land used for different things so what really pops out of me is, if we were to put all of the land that we use for livestock, um, like to grow our meat and to make the, the, the crops to feed our meat animals, that would consume 27% of the land on Earth. That's an area equal to North and South America put together just to grow our meat. So, um, you know, in a world of almost 8 billion people, it's becoming a crowded world. And, um, you know, we, we need to leave some room for nature to be nature and we're crowding it out by our activities. Um, so anyway, the, the consumption of meat is pretty, um, dramatic. And so that, has a lot of different impacts on the environment. Obviously the use of land, um, but also it's very water water intensive, uh, a lot of energy used to do this and to grow the food, to feed the meat, um, that fuels climate change. Uh, There's a lot of pollution, which is basically like cow poop and chicken poop that runs off into waterways and um, as i'll talk about in other presentations the way that our meat industry is constructed uh, makes us vulnerable to disease pandemics so diseases that start in animals and can grow to humans or can you know uh, infect humans and cause a pandemic for us so uh, the whole meat scene is an area to um, take a look at and try to fix we um, have done a lot of fishing in the world and since 1950 through about uh, 2010 the amount of fish taken out of the oceans each year uh, increased fourfold so yeah by four times in that amount luckily it has leveled off then due to a lot of um, government government action and regulations put in place to limit the amount of fishing, um, so hopefully that gets it back under control. But it's gonna take a long time for our oceans to recover, uh, assuming we continue to let them. Uh, we've, we've really hurt the oceans. We've used a lot of uh, fresh water uh, over time, and fresh water on the planet is not unlimited. And we sometimes forget this because the, the world is three quarters water and its oceans, but that's all salt water. The amount of fresh water that is in lakes and streams and um, in underground aquifers is limited. And since the year 1900, our use of fresh water has increased by six. So we're using six times the amount of water that people used to use in the year 1900. 70% of that is used for agriculture, like our crops for food and to you know, for our meat. Um, in many places, aquifers are drying out. So these are underground water sources, and they've been pumped and used uh, largely to uh, for irrigation for crops. And so they've been used year after year after year, and they're getting depleted because people take water out of them faster than water goes back in through natural processes. So there's a lot of places in the world that have been depending on this underground water that is about to run out. In a lot of these places, especially some poorer countries, those aquifers are not really monitored. Like no one knows exactly how much is left in there. Um, So really don't know when it's going to run out and it'll be a surprise. But we do know that many aquifers are running out around uh, around the world. Another impact on our fresh water is increasing pollution uh, going into waterways. So this is human sewage. This is uh, runoff from our farm fields. This is industry. This is cleaning products. This is lawn fertilizer. This is pharmaceuticals. All this stuff ends up in our waterways and makes it too polluted for us to drink or to use for our uh, crops. Currently, there's over 3 billion people in the world who do not have access to clean water. So they don't have toilets, they don't have sanitation, they don't have running water to wash their hands. And I'll just note that we're in the middle of a COVID-19 pandemic where people advise washing hands in order to reduce the transmission of disease. We have 3 billion people who do not have access to clean water. And despite that, our current fresh water, we're degrading it with pollution and we're overusing it. So water is about to be um, an intensely important issue going forward, especially with climate change. As some areas get too hot, um, water will be critical. Um, Deforestation is on the rise. Since the year 2000 uh, through 2018, the annual rate of deforestation doubled, almost. And it was already a lot before then. So in 2014, the countries of the world came together and made an international agreement to greatly reduce um, deforestation around the world, but that has not happened. It has only increased since then which makes me wonder how serious those countries are about getting this problem under control. Um, Deforestation has so many um, problems to it. Um, Partly, I love trees. Trees are awesome, they're beautiful, and we're knocking them all down. But nature lives there, so the various animals are having their uh, habitat displaced, and so a lot of animals and plants die because of this. And also forests are critical as a carbon sink. They absorb carbon dioxide so they can help us um, deal with the climate better. And that's a problem when they're not there to help us deal with the climate. We've gotten really good at making plastic over the years. So since it came around in about 1950, we've gone from zero to 400 million tons per year of plastic that we produce and plastic does not degrade quickly it's around for hundreds or thousands of years and a lot of this ends up in the oceans Um, so there's a floating patch of plastic out in the ocean um, that is just growing and growing and it degrades and animals eat it and it gets in the food supply and it's just is bad for nature so, on top of what we've done to nature and the climate, there are a couple more issues to deal with. Basically, our use, our relationship to technology, I believe, needs to change. Um, I'm not anti-technology, and in fact, technology has been one of the ways in which we've developed the standard of living we have right now which is far better than our ancestors but um, humans have this tendency to create technology without understanding its impacts and its damages and so that's how we got a climate that's falling apart because we were so good at fossil fuels and all the things we manufactured with it we were just really good at our technology without realizing the serious situation we were putting ourselves in so going forward we are entering what people know as the information age or the digital age there have been these big leaps in human progress um, throughout history Um, you know the first might have been like the invention of fire and stone tools and such but then a big leap was with the introduction of agriculture um, and then the industrial age and manufacturing. the current leap we're in the middle of right now is where computers allow us to do so more than we, so much more than we ever have. We've got the internet and um, the pace of change is rapid right now. So computers are a big part of that. So if we were to look at the, the sum total, Basically, the power of the top 500 supercomputers on the Earth. Take the 500 most computers and add up what they can do. So, looking at this on a graph, since computers came around in the 50s or so, basically, you don't even see it at the bottom of the graph. It's um, just this flat line in the bottom. And then around 2010 that started to increase and now it's become exponentially steep. It's just, it's going straight up. And there's an exponential trend where people have seen over many years that um, computing power uh, for a certain amount of money, it basically doubles every few years. And so it doubles, doubles, doubles. And so what it does is it creates this exponential curve that is, the. it's not just increasing, the rate of increase is increasing. It's going faster and faster. And so people predict that at some point, we don't know exactly when, but probably just a couple decades away, computers will be as smart as humans. And we could even reach a point at which Computers surpass humans. Um, even before that point, there's technology coming online which is insanely powerful that I'm not convinced we're ready for. I'm not convinced that as a human race we have the maturity to handle it responsibly because we so far have not handled our technology well, like say fossil fuels or nuclear weapons in some other things that i'll get into in the other presentation and technology um, the physicist stephen hawking which many people think is you know one of the top handful of smartest humans that have ever lived um he was a great physicist he was very concerned about artificial intelligence which is basically computers that are um There's smart computers, um, computer software, and it's a computer that can basically learn. It doesn't just follow the programming from the human, it learns to improve what it does, which makes it much smarter. So Stephen Hawking said that our success in creating artificial intelligence would be the biggest event in human history. Unfortunately, it might also be the last unless we learn how to avoid the risk. Hawking believed that in the coming decades, artificial intelligence could offer incalculable benefits and risks, such as technology out- outsmarting financial markets, out-inventing human researchers, out-manipulating human leaders, and developing weapons we cannot even understand. Hawking believed more should be done to prepare, prepare for this moment. So, um, yeah, this is coming online. So on top of all this other environmental mess and things we have to deal with, we're creating more technology that could cause more problems that we don't yet know how to deal with. So, um, yeah, we have not been good at managing our powerful technology. Um, So just for instance, you know, the nuclear weapons that we talked about, accidents have happened. Um, We could have blown ourselves up and we haven't yet. We've just been lucky, but we've been riding in luck. And then, well, we've got all this other stuff going on. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, So that's a challenge and obviously requires international collaboration to get through this pandemic in a good way because it's a world phenomenon. Scientists believe that we have more pandemics waiting for us beyond this one and potentially far more harmful than COVID-19. Scientists that study um, diseases out in nature in various animals have identified a whole slew of viruses and bacteria that could leap to humans and infect us and become the next pandemic. And we're in a very crowded, interconnected world where um, diseases can, can spread rapidly and easily. And we also have really radically changed our relationship with nature, so that it makes it a lot more easy for those diseases to leap from wildlife to humans. Um, so check out my other episode on that. I'll get into it in more depth. But, Basically, all these other um, catastrophic risks that I've talked about, we're going to have to deal with these while going through pandemics. And so there's going to be a temptation to be like, oh, well, we can't deal with that stuff because we've got COVID-19, we've got this other disease, like, you know, the climate will have to wait. That stuff can't wait. Like, we're going to have to deal with all these things at the same time and that's gonna really um, put some pressure on us to be smart and be focused. So, (sighs) yeah, so all this is going on. Let's pause right now. Just take a breath, soak it in. How do you feel right now? Uh, I feel some stuff. I think if you don't feel something, maybe you should rewind and listen again and consider this. Um, I think when, when contemplating the serious nature of these threats and the fact that the human race could end or at least civilization could sort of fall apart on us, um, it provokes some feelings. If you have some feelings about this, I just really encourage you to not hide from it. Don't ignore these feelings. Um, In fact, these feelings are precious and useful. It means that we're human. It means that we care. And that's what's gonna help us hang together and get through this. So our ability to feel these things and channel that into productive activity that's what's going to save us so it is up to us uh you and me and the people around us to figure this out i don't want to wait for some magical leader to come fix it because it's probably not going to happen this is really up to all of us and you know as you've seen this whole collision of um problems that we're up against it's it's um yeah something bad could happen and we don't know exactly how it'll play out but um it'll be tough could be tough so you know at least here in the united states where i am there's people that sometimes talk about like where were you during a very important historical moment like people will say well where were you when you know President Kennedy got shot? Or, where were you at 9 11 when the Twin Towers were attacked? And these are these very pivotal moments that people remember. And I hope we don't in the future say, where were you when the world fell apart? What were you doing? I, you know, what do we say? Like, well, I was just I was busy watching Netflix, I was shopping. You know, I was busy. You know, I had a busy life going on. I was working. I had kids. I had to pay my bills. I, you know, yeah, I was just too busy to deal with this stuff. Being too busy is not gonna. It, it's not gonna solve it. You know, like we have to find a way. So, um, I think no matter what we have going on we have to figure out how to put some attention here and each of us do what we can do. So now let's talk positive. Um, I'm sorry to bring you down, sorry to bum you out, but it's just necessary because I believe that, um, being mature and responsible adults means like facing reality and just dealing with reality as it is, and trying to make good decisions from there. So we needed to go through all that. We needed to just take a good look at it and get on the same page about where we're at. But now I want to look at the positive, because there is tons of positive. Humanity in many ways has improved um, over time, and we have dealt with very difficult problems in the past. Which make me believe that we can deal with these other problems going forward, so I do have faith in the human race and our ability to deal with this stuff. If I did not have that optimism I wouldn't be doing the show. I wouldn't be going through all this. That would feel like a waste of time to me I'm doing this because I think it's positive or possible and and we can do this so Let's look at some positive trends, uh, some good news for once. So poverty has um, greatly improved. The standard of living for most people in the world has improved. I am not claiming poverty is done, but extreme poverty has um, improved greatly. So we would measure this by people living on less than $1.90 per day. And you know this is inf- inflation adjusted. So if we look back at the year 1820, 90% of the population lived under that threshold. So essentially that's 90% of the population that was hungry and at risk because they're hungry and right now or in 2015 that was down to 10 percent so that is huge now i don't want to short things you know there are a lot of poor people in the world so just above that threshold of 190 per day there are a lot of people who are very poor and experiencing hunger and and some suffering but This shows that we can make some progress, and we need to keep going and help the rest. And a trend like this helps me believe that actually being done with poverty in the world is possible because we've made progress. If we could just keep making progress, maybe we can do this and actually fix it. Over time, human life expectancy has increased dramatically starting about the year 1900. And so um, if you look back at the year 1770, the average life expectancy in the world was less than 30 years old. And more currently, it's gone to over 70 years old on average. So that's beyond doubling people's lifetime. And we've accomplished this in, you know, since 1900, like in a little over 100 years. That's really, really dramatic improvement. And so this has happened due to availability of food. This has happened from alleviating disease. A lot of that has been um, improving sanitation. So a lot more people need sanitation, but you know, we've got you know, over 4 billion people who are running water, and that is far healthier. So um, go humans. We've done some good things. Also, child mortality has gone down. So um, this is measured by the number of people, a uh, number of kids who make it beyond their fifth birthday. So it used to be that in the year eighteen hundred. Forty-three percent of kids would die before they were five years old. That has decreased to four percent in 2017. That is so dramatic. That's that's huge. That kids are living. um, You know, it's enormous. The literacy rate um, has increased dramatically. So this is people able to read and write um, in their native language. And so this is measured by people over 14 years old who know how to read and write. In the year 1820, that was 12% of the population. That went up to 85% in 2010. So that's, what, an eightfold increase almost? So that is huge. I mean, that allows people to put food on their table, do valuable work, make their way in the world, be smarter, gain information by knowing how to read and write. So that improvement in education, going from 12% to 85%, it's it's enormous. Um, a big part of that that's valuable is... Um, that women and girls have become more educated over the years so historically it has been far more common for boys to go to school go to school than girls and that has been catching up over the years in recent decades and that's enormous that we're getting uh, girls schooled so basically the these are just good things in general but In terms of dealing with the environmental mess that we have to deal with, continuing these trends is huge. So because that helps control the population. So we saw earlier we've had this exploding human population that has increased radically. And people have found that the best way to limit population is to help people overcome poverty and to get them educated. So this happens because when people overcome poverty, they have fewer babies. Um, It reduces the birth rate. And I don't know if part of this is instinctually wired in um, or if this is all rational decision, but it's it's basically if a family is poor um, and just struggling to survive, they have to have more children in order to have some of them survive into adulthood. And also, in some sort of farming um, communities, you know, having more kids helps, because that's more hands, that's more people to do the work um, of survival. So when in, when incomes and wealth increase in a place, uh, it results in lower amount of births. And also, uh, in terms of literacy, that also helps the population, especially for girls to get educated. Um, because then women can more control their own destiny, control how many kids they want to have, and um, between the two, this is our best method of controlling population, and that will reduce pressure on the, the, the natural world. Now, something to be careful of, though, is that reduction in population is very good because you know essentially poor people they're more desperate and they're going to consume nature in order to you know make a dollar to eat or to grow their food and so um, the problem is that over time as we alleviate poverty get more money in these people's pocket if they try to do things like Americans like if all these, you know, newly uh, people with newer wealth start to drive gas-guzzling SUVs, where they start to eat beef in the way that Americans do. Our climate is going to be screwed um, because emissions will be far greater. So, you know, for instance, um, the United States has the highest um, contribution to climate emissions in the world, and we just consume so much. We're just over-consuming like crazy, and so. As we alleviate poverty, we have to figure out how to do that in a way where we can give people a decent standard of living, but not have them go down the route of overconsumption of fossil fuels like the developed world has. So that's a delicate balance to strike, you know, how to share the resources, but not prompt more climate change. Um, I think we can do it. And, and I think I would not argue. I I would not argue for, like, we should keep people poor so that they don't hurt the climate. Like, I don't think that's the solution. I think everyone has more flexibility to deal with situations. They have more resilience if they have more money in their pocket and they're healthier and they're eating better and more educated. I think that ultimately will help us, but we need to get smart about how we do this. Another really interesting and good trend is that over time we've had more democracy in the world. So in 1900 there was barely any governments that were democracies and that has increased dramatically through now. Over that same number of um years the number of autocracies has decreased. So just putting it simply, a democracy is where a government where the people, the citizens, have some ability to shape what their government does. And autocracy is more like the iron fist ruler who just like, calls the shots and nobody gets to um, shape the government. So that growth in democracy is a very good trend. In terms of human survival, um, it's very good because it results in less war. Um, Democracies are just known to conduct warfare less. Um, I'm not saying they don't, but it's less. And so another way to look at this is not only the number of countries that are democracies, but the portion of the human population living in democracies has greatly increased. So now we're looking at, you know, over half the human population living in a democracy compared to almost nine uh, years ago. So, um, the number of people dying in warfare has greatly improved. Um, the last century saw two world wars that were just maybe the most devastating experiences that humans have gone through. And, Since then, though, there has been far less war, and there is still war, obviously, there are serious conflicts going on, so I don't want anyone to take this as, oh yeah, war is all fixed, it's all over, we don't need to worry. I mean it more the opposite, where, like, let's finish the job, you know, we've discovered that we can make improvements on this front, let's continue, and let's stamp it out so we're not fighting anymore because um, a human race that wants to survive needs to stop fighting, and we need to focus on survival and focus on solving problems. Fighting wars is not gonna help us do that. We've also had great progress in public health, and so we've wiped out diseases. So smallpox is gone. Um, Polio is almost gone. There's just been radical progress on these fronts and these are horrible diseases. I mean people who died just died these horrible deaths and the ones that survived suffered greatly. Um, we've made great strides, great strides on malaria. Um, it was increasing through the 1990s and the number of people dying peaked around 2004. Um, A million people died from malaria that year. More recently has declined, and now we're at about 600,000 per year. So that's great progress, and there's a lot of people working on this front. So this kind of progress does not just happen on its own. It happens through a lot of collaboration, cooperation among many different players all over the world, um, making improvement like this. And then measles have also um, just greatly diminished. So since 1990, um, it's gone way, way down, and that's a result of vaccines going way up. So vaccinations pro- vaccination programs rolling out around the world um, made a huge difference. So, pause again, take a deep breath, and I wonder how you feel now. Um, we've just talked about improvements on war, poverty, life expectancy, education, democracy, um, improving disease, you know, improving health. Um, it's pretty good. So I wonder how you feel now. Um, I wonder if you have some positive feelings. Positive feelings are just as important Um, earlier we embraced our, you know, fear, sadness, anger about the problems. And that's important that can fuel us toward action. But I think these positive feelings are just as important. It's important to maintain optimism because pessimism does not get things done. If we think it's impossible, then we're not even going to try and we really must try. So, we have to keep our spirits up, and we have to realize that progress is possible. And it's important for us to keep reminding each other that progress is possible, and really spread the word about that, because our progress, I think, is poorly understood or people don't pay attention to it. So when you look at the daily news, it's this whole cataclysm of bad things happening, and That's what grabs people's attention. Um, You know, the negative news are those sudden crises, those sudden events that are very dramatic. That's what gets in the news. But very gradual improvement, that doesn't quite get in the news. Like there's no, you know, big noticeable event that education is improving or disease is improving or there's less war and, you know, the whole thing. So that's why I felt it was really important to go through that positive stuff and lay it out for us because um, for us to do the hard work ahead of us that we know that we need to do, we have to remember that it's possible and just rally together and get it done. So I'm about to wrap this, but I would love for you to take away with you a couple key concepts that I'd love for you to remember. One is that now is an incredibly dangerous, urgent moment in history, unlike anything that humans have faced before. There is really no time to wait. We have to get busy. The other thing is that we have solved big problems before. We have, as a human race, done positive things, so we can improve. We know we have this ability. So I'd like for us to prove to ourselves that we can continue to get things done and face the future with some confidence and just make some things happen. So that's it for today. Um, Thanks for joining me through this. I know it's been heavy. I know it's been positive, but I think it's been important. And uh, I do appreciate your time. I appreciate you caring about the world and uh, caring about humans. And um, I really do think humans are awesome, and I think we're worth saving. So I hope you'll stick with me as we um, try to save us. Until next time, let's try to be the best people we can be. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening, but you're not done yet. We can't change the world if we keep the joy of saving the human race to ourselves. Help me spread the word and help this movement grow. Please subscribe to the show, both the podcast and the YouTube channel. Leave ratings or reviews, which encourages others to listen. Share this show with others on your social media. Even better, just tell a friend about it and have a good conversation about the state of the world. These things really make a difference. I hope you can help the show grow and reach a larger audience. I'm grateful for your help. Thank you. And please stay in touch with me. I love to get feedback, suggestions, and questions. Go to the website at joyofsavingthehumanrace.com. At the website, you'll learn more about the show, and you can sign up to get occasional email updates. Thanks to Moby for the show's theme music, and thanks to you for being here. All right, we're done for today. Be well.